The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freightline, helping the world keep promises. Coaches hired, coaches moving on, transfer portal spinning, same as it ever was. I thought the season was supposed to be over. This is the College Game Day podcast for Wednesday, January 17th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here, and even just in the moments before we began recording, uh, Pete, you have transfer portal people uh, blowing up your morning. You you can't get a morning of peace, Pete. Yeah, the Peloton was aspirational this morning, and then it caught wind of uh, Caleb Downs uh, entering the portal. I think he was the best freshman in the sport last year, Reese. He's maybe had the best freshman season of any Alabama defender in history. He led the team in tackles, only freshman to ever do that at Alabama. If you really go deep with the scouts, they'll tell you that he's about as sure a thing as you can be to be a top 10 pick. The safety position isn't one that typically goes top three, four, but boy, just a a, a special player. Uh, Son of Gary Downs, the former NFL running back, uh, Broncos, Giants, Falcons, I believe. Brother of Josh Downs, the very good, productive North Carolina receiver, nephew of Dre Bly, former Tar Heel assistant coach, former Tar Heel great and NFL great. Uh, Yeah, Caleb Downs has uh, all the performance you could ever ask for. Nick Saban, and you could parse Sabanisms maybe better than anyone, Reese, from all your years around him, but he was as effusive about Caleb Downs as I can ever remember him being as a freshman. So um, the obvious... Projected landing spots would be Georgia, where he was close to going in high school, and his uh, position coach is now there, uh, T-Rob, and Ohio State was also well in the mix for him in uh, in out of out of high school. But um, yeah, uh, another you know you 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 look there were portal losses. Um, I do feel like Isaiah Bond was a big loss. Um, mm-hmm. but Caleb Downs for the next two years is a, is a huge loss. Some of that is going to happen, and you know Alabama fans are going to be frustrated by it, but you won a lot of the recruiting battles simply because, particularly I think for defensive backs, because they had a chance to go and play for not only the greatest coach in the history of college football, but also a uh, well-known guru of secondary play. So, you know, that was a, a real draw for a lot. And around the program, the name Minka Fitzpatrick was invoked as a freshman, and that is rarefied air in Tuscaloosa. And Caleb Downs was certainly uh, one of those. So I, I, there's no question that's a big portal loss for them. Uh, but there will probably be more, and that's the way it goes when you change coaches. You're going to have some roster turnover, particularly now that roster turnover is much easier to accomplish. Uh, whether it be leaving or, or bringing guys in. So uh, this is you know, part of the growing pains. It's going to be bumpy. Uh, I think it was an excellent hire by Greg Byrne. I think it's as, it is as good of a hire as you possibly could make in following Nick Saban. That doesn't guarantee success. My point is if you're going to have to replace Nick Saban or you don't replace him, if you're going to have to hire the coach who gets the job after Nick Saban, you, what better place to start than a guy who's now 104 and 13, three championships at a lower level, and just took his team to the national championship game? And as a, a guy who is coveted in the sport, there were other schools that if openings popped up, he certainly would have been right at the top of the list. And in, if he is successful at Alabama, uh, the NFL will certainly come calling at some point as well. 
couldn't have couldn't have done much better in terms of hiring someone uh, to follow Saban. But there 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 will be bumps in the road, and the first sure. set of potholes will be the roster. And you know that's that's just the way it goes right now. It's just the way it is. So it shouldn't be terribly surprising. Yeah. And one of the things that was fortuitous for Kalen DeBoer, and a credit to him, the offense he brought in, and in the recruitment of Michael Penix, was that core at Washington ultimately stayed. Especially if you look in the receiver room, um, all guys will be top 100 picks this year. Odunze, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan. Um, they could have obviously gone anywhere, right? They, they, those guys are going to play anywhere. But they saw the vision, they stuck around, and it paid off. And that's not the case there. But we're bearing the lead, as we often do here, uh, being talkative and undisciplined as we are, because there's so much news happening. Since our Emergency Saban podcast, you have since sat down with Nick Saban. Uh, you're the only person, I believe, to have interviewed him uh, at significant length. And I would just be curious, your impressions. There's obviously you do a, 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 a sit down like that. There's a lot of human interaction that goes beyond the camera. And I'm just curious, mm-hmm. your impression of him his state of mind, where he was, um, what, what st- stuck out to you? That's obviously a, you know, interview that that would be one of the biggest in your career that you'll ever do, uh, considering the, the, the timing of it and the, and the stakes. Just kind of curious your impressions. I've searched for the right word to describe that, and I think I've landed on convinced, meaning that I think he was convinced that it was the right thing for him. Uh, and possibly for the program. I'm not so sure I agree with that part of it because he, you know, it talked about things like, you know, if I uh, had a better better coverage, better conveyed assignments better on the fourth and two against Michigan, maybe Alabama wins that game. If we'd had a better play call on the play in overtime of the goal line, those types of things that coaches typically beat themselves up over. I mean, you're, you're coming off arguably the best job of coaching in terms of bringing a team along getting them uh, to the point that they won the SEC championship and into the playoffs so I would I would probably differ with Nick over that assessment but he was convinced based on what it had taken out of him this year which was I think a little unusual for him and maybe a rarity for him he was convinced that it was the right thing to do. I think a lot of times you go in and you talk with a coach who has either been relieved of his duties or has decided to retire, and there is a sense of relief or a sense of, um, you know, of, of regret, you know, one of the two. I didn't get, get either of those feelings from Nick. I got basically convinced that... He was doing what he always said he was going to do. If he felt like he couldn't do it the way he always did, that he was going to step away. And, you know, in one of the early things, and I I guess it's okay for me to share this now, there were rumors flying, as they do when you get a surprise announcement like that, that there was, you know, that there was a problem, you know, some type of health problem for uh, Nick or someone in his family, Miss Terry, you know, whoever it might be. And you're flying around Alabama circles. And when I went in to talk with him before, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure he had the opportunity to clear that up. Because one of the reasons I think he preferred to sit down as opposed to the traditional news conference is he wanted to make sure that he explained his thinking, how he looked at it in a, in a, more, in a way that was more comfortable to him. 
mm-hmm. you know, in terms of, you know, instead of, I don't know, he, he just preferred to do it this way. But at first, when I brought up the health thing, he said, well, you know, you know, I'm 72 years old, you know, things, you know, you get to this stage, you don't have the energy. He goes, that's health. And, and I said, sure, it is. I said, but there are people who are concerned that there's something, you know, like right now. And, you know, that there's something imminent that, that's going on that led to this. And so he was able to, you know, he was able to put down those rumors and those worries that people had. So there's no, there's no illness. It's just the grind and the gruel of the season. Yeah, there's no illness. Miss Terry's fine. I'm fine. Um, but it was the, can you sustain the season, you know, from just a, a mental grind standpoint. Um, and I've, you know, when I was young, you know, I could work till two in the morning, get up at six and be there the next day and be full of energy and go for it. But when you get a little older, that gets a little tougher. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. So I think there, there was a feeling of being convinced that it was the right thing for him to do. But there was also this sense that he wanted to make sure that that his message came from him in his words and was were not only his words, but the way he wanted them presented. And I think he felt more comfortable doing that in a one-on-one situation as opposed to uh, standing at the podium, which he could have done very well because he, over the course of his career, uh, watching the way he handles news conference settings now as opposed to the first one I ever saw him handle in East Lansing when he got the Michigan State job. Oh, wow. It's, it's a different dude, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's, uh, sure. he's certainly grown in that area. But I think that that's the, the biggest takeaway is that I wondered, and I wondered and I asked him, you know, did you feel weird this morning? You know, you're not, uh, not going to be part of a team, really, for the first time since you were a mm-hmm. little kid. And – he, he acknowledged that that would be different, but still seemed convinced that this was the right thing for him. Um, no, I noticed you asked the health question. I, I watched the mm-hmm. whole interview on, uh, on YouTube. Yeah. I encourage our listeners to do it as well because you really get more of the flow than when it's, uh, when it's cut up for, uh, for, for television. Um, I noticed you asked that question pretty, uh, pr- pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has, you know, we've, we've seen you know, coaches retire over the, over the decades and you know, they hold a platform, Reese, right? Like they hold a, a, a powerful platform. I'm curious if you got an impression or maybe you have a guess over how Nick Saban may use that platform. Because I don't see him just going on a fishing boat and drinking Bud Lights. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. just, I feel like he is too driven. I think of like that foot shaking under the chair when he talks. Like he's just wired different. How do you feel like he may channel that energy, which is still significant at what, 71, two? 72, yeah. Two. I, yeah. You're right on it, Pete. I don't think he knows the answer to that. I asked him uh, one of the questions in the interview, and I want to give some insight here from behind the scenes too, but your question brought up this. I did ask him how he felt about college football breaking away and Mm -hmm. sort of being its own entity. And he said, I'm going to research that. And then he went into some things about, you know, the percentages of sports. He wanted to make sure that other opportunities weren't taken away from non-revenue sports. But he said, I want to research that so I'll have a better answer for that. I don't know what the role is. I don't think he does either. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I I do think that there's going to be an opportunity for him in broadcasting. Um, You know, I certainly, you know, I, 
I would love for him to be part of our show. I don't know where that stands. That you know, mm-hmm. that's not something I negotiate. But he's been so good with us over the they years. They run that by me. Just yeah, I, yeah, do, yeah, um, yeah. I hope they. <laughs> that's run a it joke, by, by the way. That's sarcasm for those not fluent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they I will run nothing run it by, by me. me. But usually, it's sort of done by then. But um, it's. Uh, I think it'd be great if that's what he chooses to do, and perhaps that will be part of the platform, but I don't think that will be it exclusively. I think the powers that be would be wise to use him as a sounding board, and we've always talked about this notion um, of a commissioner in college football. I, I think that's so far off and so far, not far afield at the moment, That may come to fruition, but I don't think that's going to come to fruition uh, during a feasible timeline for for Nick, although he would be perfect for it. Um, Because the one thing that has always struck me about him and was sort of still reiterated in that time that we uh, visited uh, last week was that he's hyper-competitive. He cares mostly about winning in his team, but he does care about the bigger uh, value of the sport. And people made fun of him with all of the, is this what we want football to be stuff? And I understand why they did, because you're only looking at it through the focus of, you know, how is he trying to help Alabama win? But there is, uh, there's a lot of authenticity and legitimacy in those questions that he asked and things that, you know, that he thinks aren't good for the players. You know, the, mm-hmm. the unfettered free agency right now, I really believe, and it's easy to be cynical about it, but I really believe he thinks that's not best for the players. He thinks getting money is best for them and sharing, you know, in various revenues, that is best. But that there are aspects of the framework right now that, doesn't, uh, that don't help them long term. I think he would like to be part of addressing what those answers are, but I think he's also still in the process of, uh, to use his word, researching what that would be. I think some of it will be in broadcasting. I think some of it will probably be a little Mm -hmm. more behind the scenes in an advisory capacity, and there might come a day in the next few years where he becomes front and center on things like that, and I do believe that that would be a role that he would uh, take on willingly. Yeah, I mean, he certainly has the gravitas to do it. Um, the notion of czar comes up, and this is like a long conversation for a May podcast, but yeah. I've always a belief like if the AFC made twice as much money as the NFC, football wouldn't have one commission, right? And right. so until there's some sort of more level playing field and not power needed by the leagues dictated by money, it's hard to have one person in charge because that would mean the leader's acquiescing power. So um, that doesn't happen. I've, no, I've said not no. about this situation. I've said this yeah, just about in many things. Yeah. Find find a situation in life where people go, "Hey, I think I'd like to give up some of my power." <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean that yeah. really doesn't happen very often. Yeah. You know, that happens right after they want to give up some of their money. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Precisely. Precisely. And the the inequities in the system now we call it a power two, and then you know it's probably a little staggered from there. Like, those aren't solving themselves. There's not Mm -hmm. some financial magic bullet because the power two have established themselves as twice as valuable, whatever, use your percentages as valuable as the others. And therefore, some sort of neat, tidy 68 team, whatever, you know, something that somebody can write a long blog about and would make perfect sense in a world of financial equity does not work in our current world of financial inequity. And if anything, we've seen the inequities 
grow. I mean, look at Alabama's staff hirings, right? At, like precise. they they yeah. they pillaged two Group of Five schools. Um, I haven't had a coach about uh, one of those Group of Five openings say to me like, "That's you know, five years ago, I might have gone after that job, but now people are leaving that job for like a similar job that they have now." Like it's it's interesting to see the tide turn a little bit that some of those group of five jobs maybe aren't viewed as aspirational because your best players immediately go to the power five for more money. Mm-hmm. It's just in and you don't you don't have the NIL to keep them. So you become you're now like a triple A manager. You're not a you know, you're, you're not there. And that's just the that's and that's not a complaint by me. It's just an observation. It's just where the system is right now. One quick thing on that, because it's, it's interesting. I, I was asked about Alabama's staff on a, a show just before we started. And it's funny, you and I haven't even spoken about this. And my, our, our thoughts are similar. It's it's changed the coaching trajectory thing. And uh, Cole Kubelik was the one who asked me that. And he brought up Sean Lewis. And I remember to be being really surprised that Sean would leave a head coaching job to go be a coordinator at Colorado. And the same for Kane Womack and really for Mo Lindquist, who I, I mm-hmm. told the story on Cole's show that, um, that Lindquist, who, who I don't know well, but I know someone who has, who has talked to him about a, a job a couple of years ago and said, that guy is going to be a great head coach at the upper level at some point can't hire him now because the limited track record in that set, but he's a guy to keep an eye on now, you know, maybe, maybe he's impressive. Yeah. Maybe Buffalo is a little up and down, whatever, but you know, early on, but those jobs are difficult. And now you have two guys who have decided that the best way forward for their career path is to step away from running their own team and, and, and working with Kalen DeBoer and, and running a side of the ball. You know, it's um, yeah. it, it's a pretty pretty fascinating time in the sport in that regard too. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or twenty four seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, there is a uh, there is a yawning gap, and before we dive into it and get off our uh, get off our our script, we're still on our opening script here. Um, you did also sit down with the other college football coach who is in the uh, highest end of the news cycle right now, national champion Jim Harbaugh, uh, interviewee of the Chargers, interviewee of the Falcons in recent days. 
you spent some time with him post-title game there. Um, walk, walk us through a little bit of that interaction, Reese, which we did not get to on the emergency podcast because we were Nick-focused, and yeah. what vibes you got. We had talked going in on one of our pods about asking the question, asking the hard mm-hmm. question. It's sort of something mm-hmm. all all journalists face, the, the the proverbial Bonnie Bernstein to Roy Williams question, right? Like that yeah. uh, that we've all, we've all had to raise our hand and ask or tilt the microphone and ask, uh, how did that go with Jim? And when you left him that morning in Houston, where did you, wh- what was your, what was your feeling of that, the, where the weather vane was pointing? Uh, most of this is gut instinct. I think he's leaving if he gets the right situation, but it, it wasn't like he walked in there going, you know, I've done my job and now I can't wait to get back to the NFL. I mean, he was, he was pretty much the quintessential Harbaugh in terms of the way he answered it. Um, you know, going through Adrian did a great job uh, transcribing part of the interview and highlighting some things uh, as part of the podcast. But I tried to get to some creative ways to answer it because if you ask Pete, are you going to the NFL the next morning? Well, we, we know, and you would have tipped me off if there was a, an imminent deal that had been done. If and the logistics that, don't even work because they right. have to interview four or five people. Like it's not even right. feasible for that to happen immediately. Right. So you know if you ask that, you know, that directly, and it may make you feel like a tough guy, but mm-hmm. you're not getting anything. Sure. So I tried to find some ways to get to it, uh, and he, he actually opened a door by talking about the criticism and what you say, you go back to work. So then I said, okay, what work do you find to do next? And then, yeah. you know, ask him, you know, how, uh, how making his alma mater a champion uh, impacted that. And he, you know, I'm looking at the transcript here and he says, well, everybody says that I really don't know. And so I asked him, well, how do you think that will evaluate or impact your thinking when you evaluate it? And he gave me the 24 hour rule. I'm going to make it a 48 hour rule. I'm leave, living right now. I asked him about the time frame. He said, I don't have an answer to that for you right now. So he, look, he, he was very cordial and friendly, knew the questions were coming and, uh, and was good, was really good about it. How does being a champion and restoring your alma mater to a championship status impact decisions you will make? Because you're going to have opportunities. And everybody says that, you know, everybody says that. I don't know. You know, who knows that? Um, But how does it impact your thinking about how you will evaluate it? I don't know. I mean, we could peel back the onion and, uh, you know, different different layers of emotion. And what are you going to think and how are you think? All I know is this. I'm living right now. This is uh, this is incredible. There's always a question that you left on the table that. Mm -hmm. And, and this was just a miss by me. I'd love to make somebody say, oh, I, I thought, no, the follow-up question that I missed and that I regret, what, do you, what would it take to get you to leave Michigan? That's a pretty basic question that I missed, and I wish sure. I had asked it that I mean, way. I do take solace in this, Pete, knowing mm-hmm. Jim as you and I do. I would have gotten the same answer to that question had I asked it 
than I got to some of the others, which also would have been very similar uh, to the answer I would have gotten if I'd said, Jim, what do you think about the move from uh, horse-drawn carriages to modes of transportation by horseless carriage? You know, so it all would have been similar, but I do wish I'd asked it. I wish I'd asked it that way, but, you know, it was all the 48-hour rule and right now. The one thing that did happen after the interview was over we were standing up and you were taking some pictures and uh, Blake Corum and Will Johnson were there too. And I sort did of, did you tell you know, Will Johnson about your man crush or no? I, I did. I, he knows. You're always he, hesitant to admit your man crushes. No, yeah. Well, you never want to meet your heroes, Pete. They can let you down. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Will knows. Will knows I'm a fan. Uh, I'm but, but I told, no, I know it. I told, uh, I told Jim afterwards, I said, look, man, I said, I, I know how you answered the questions. And I said, I know you've got decisions to make. I said, I'm a college football guy. I said, I wish you well, whatever. I said, but I hope you stay. I said, I think, I said, I think, you know, just your personality and demeanor and everything, I think you're good for the sport. And I said, and I hope you decide to stay, but if you don't, I wish you well. And, you know, he appreciated that and, you know, kind of gave it the, you know, the wandering off in space stare, you know, and the smile and, you know, yeah, yeah, you're for people watching on YouTube, you've, you've got the face, but you know, he was guarded in that respect. But, um, you know, I, I felt like the most insightful thing was it. And I thought it was a moment of honesty, even though it was sort of offered in semi jest, um, that he felt like he belonged in the family now with his dad and with John, having championships you know it was (laughs) it was sort of a psychological peak that you get in some of those interviews from time to time because you know John Harbaugh doesn't look at his brother as lesser because he doesn't have a championship and Jack Harbaugh certainly doesn't look at him that way but there's something about the way Jim's wired that to him Mm -hmm. you know he to use his vernacular, didn't belong at the big kids' table, you know, until he until he had done that. And it's kind of a fascinating look at the way um, way people operate. And you know, we act like it's so foreign. I think to some degree, all of us who are competitive in our fields feel that way, you know, about whatever bar we set as success or achievement, we feel like we have to clear that. And maybe we fool ourselves into thinking that people around us will think more of us if we do it, which generally speaking, and I certainly hope is not true for people who actually love and care about you. But I think sometimes that for humans who are competitive and want to achieve, that there is that is part of the drive. As you know, he he used the phrase several times. I wanted to make them proud. I wanted to make you know my dad, and my brother proud. I wanted my kids and my wife to be able to say you know that that we were national champions, or that you know they were uh, that their dad was a national champion, their husband was a national champion, and you know that meant something to him. And I thought it probably gave us a, a little peek as to. Uh, you know, part of the drive that he has is legendary. Yeah, I I saw some of his brother's quotes to our colleague Adam Schefter on his uh, podcast. John Harbaugh had an interesting observation. He said he thought his brother was the best team builder in football right now, just in in his pure ability to build a team. Um, and hard to argue with it with the team that was put forth mm-hmm. fifteen and zero and the the way they were built. Um, I've always felt like Jim Harbaugh's defining trait as a coach, going back to Stanford when I really first started to cover him, 
was his ability to instill competitive spirit in a team slash program slash franchise. And that's a difficult thing to quantify. That doesn't happen in, you know, spring practice eight period four, right? That's a that's a daily lifestyle that he is able to instill. Um, I will say moving forward, the curious thing for me, and I think somewhat tips his hand, is that Michigan for losing the numbers roughly 17 starters, right? Like I, I don't, I, five linemen, I think Hinton's coming back, but he wasn't starting at the time. Mm-hmm. Both receivers, quorum, uh, tight ends back, a good chunk of the really good players on defense, uh, minus the two D tackles and your your buddy Will Johnson. Um, <laughs> and there's some younger safeties that are okay. But anyway, they lose 15 starters plus. They've only taken two portal players right now. Um, now again, they have good young players in the program. They've recruited well. They have the country's best strength coach, uh, in Ben Herbert, who would be a huge loss if he went with Jim to the NFL, a huge, huge loss because Michigan has not been a top three recruiting program. They've been good. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. They have good players, but they have not recruited in the same class as Georgia, Bama, Ohio state. And they built the team that outclassed those programs, or at least this Mm -hmm. year they outclassed Alabama. Ohio State now for three straight years, and then obviously played, uh, you know, played really, really well in the in, in the title game, and, and it showed their medal. So I'm just curious if there are holes, including a quarterback, quite frankly. Um, mm-hmm. And they've called around on a couple quarterbacks, but there aren't like front front line quarterbacks available. Will Rogers is probably the best portal quarterback available on the board right now, assuming he's going to leave Washington. So it, it would just be very interesting. From a roster standpoint, um, and again, do you think it's Sharon Moore if uh, if Jim leaves, Reese? I, I do. Um, yeah. Me too. You, I mean, I, I think that the the obvious uh, other candidate is now the head coach at Alabama. Yes. So it's, uh, I, I think it's Sharon Moore. And I mm-hmm. think the timing of it, Pete, is going to make that uh, the, the best option. There are a lot of people who would leave jobs after spring training to take Michigan. But Mm -hmm. is that in the best interest of the program? Do you then, I don't want to say sabotage, but then do you hamstring the new guy coming in at that point at Michigan and pass over Sharon Moore for that? I just, that seems like a non-starter. And at least you have some chance of continuity. There are times when continuity is good, times when it's not. Um, if there had been the right person on the Alabama staff, then maybe continuity would have been a, a good option. But in that well, case— Well, I think if this I, happened in other years, they would have gone internal. Like if Steve Sarkeesian was still there. Oh, there's There was no a time when Bill that. O'Brien was well thought of. You can go back yeah. to Kirk. Like there was a lot of times when that thing would have got the the, the, the Ryan Day treatment where that's passed on and you keep— the key thing about the, the day hire at the time was they kept the infrastructure there. Mm-hmm. I think what people underestimate, they see the coach on the sideline, is there are – most of these buildings now have 100 employees, Reese. Right. Nutritionists, yeah. strength coaches of a dozen, uh, personnel departments a dozen. So you're, built, you're bringing in a whole new industry, whereas Alabama had built the best mousetrap that everybody had tried to copy. Some succeeded like Kirby. Many failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt comes to mind, but there's plenty of others too. Everybody tried to replicate this thing, and they have the thing. And mm-hmm. so that will be interesting when you start to parse out what Kalen DeBoer does, how much of that infrastructure stays. So anyway, I cut you off there, but I just no, think that's not, a, you know. Not at all. It, it actually just reminded me of something that morning. Um, 
when you're in the building and you know you have you have relationships with the, with assistant coaches there and and everywhere but in that building sometimes whenever you visited with an assistant coach even if you knew him and you knew you know Nick was fine with it or whatever there was always this sense from the assistant coach that maybe or the analyst or whoever it might be that he's peeking around to make sure the boss didn't see him talking to a media guy you know <laughs> and, uh, and that was one thing that was different there were people just dropping by to say hello you know <laughs> which maybe wasn't uh maybe wasn't the case in uh, in previous years so <laughs> it, it was said to me uh by someone who'd been through there that those people won't know what to do walking around the building scared, not scared to death anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Pete, the one thing to give some behind the scenes, the most yeah. surreal, odd thing of that entire morning was when I walked down to his office to uh, visit with him a little bit before the interview, just, you know, kind of talk some things sure. out. Yeah. Not customary, but in this case, appropriate. Yeah. Um and I walked down there and he was in the, he's got a, a conference room attached to his office and he was sitting in there. But as you went into his office, it was virtually cleaned out already. Mm. They were boxing up, you know, just a few more things and he's going to have an office in Bryant-Denny Stadium. So, you know, they'll uh, move the stuff over there, I guess, or do whatever he wants to with it. But that was an odd, surreal thing. Yeah, that had to be, yeah. That had yeah. to be a little bit different. Walk in to yeah. see the people, kind of, and, and you know, uh, his personal assistant who's been with him a long time, I think even dating back to LSU, you know, in there. And there was a, it was kind of a profound sense of, um, even though, you know, he ran the show. Everybody knows that, you know, about to allude to what you said. But there was also such a sense of appreciation, I think, and there was this realization among a lot of staffers oh, yeah. that they had they had been right in the middle of something really <clears throat> special, and it was ending abruptly. And mm-hmm. now, I'm not there. There weren't a bunch of tears, or, you know. They're sure. not like that. But it was just like, is this really happening? Is he? Yeah. You know, or is it? Are they? Is he really doing this? And you know, and then everybody was there to try to make sure. Um, that things were going the way he wanted them to go in terms of uh, packing up or, or whatever it might be, things he you know might want or need. And you know one of the one of the people on the staff said, "Well, when can we expect you?" Uh, meaning the morning of the interview, when can we expect you in the office? Since he'd already announced, and he goes, "Well, at the same time, I'm always here." You know what I mean? <laughs> so you know, he came in the same time. But it was a uh, you know that was kind of the I think seeing the office being packed up and emptied out was kind of like, "Wow, whoa." You know, it was it was a it was a different thing for sure. So let's collide the state of Michigan with uh, with Nick Saban because you brought up uh, Reese Davis, former uh, Flint television employee. And forgive me, I don't remember the station before you went to ESPN. WJRT twelve in Flint, Michigan. In Flint, that was your last stop before ESPN, correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. And I read once in an article you got the call to go to ESPN from a payphone in Columbus while covering an Ohio State game. Is that right? uh, Well, I was actually. I guess I can say this now, this time later, it was, uh, I was going to interview for a job in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, and in Columbus, I, Ohio? Yeah, I had, um, I had. Sources. A mess- yeah, I'd gotten, I'd gotten a, uh, I'd gotten a message on my, uh, not voicemail back then, but answering machine 
that you know, ESPN wanted to talk. So I was stopping along the way as I was driving to Columbus, Ohio, and trying to reach ESPN from payphones and finally reached them from a Wendy's parking lot across the street from the station where I was interviewing in Columbus. So Fitting for Columbus, home of when wasn't Wendy's invented there? I think it was. Yeah, I think, I think so. How about that? So, okay. Yeah, so anyway, so yeah, that you, you attended, I didn't know this about you. This is a, an interesting quirk. You attended Nick Saban's first press conference at Michigan State. I did when he got the job and he was going back uh, to the NFL to finish out. But he uh, I drove over to East Lansing for the introductory press conference. And at that time, you know, he was he was a name in football, but I certainly didn't know him. But the the um, the way he presented himself then as opposed to now is night and day the command of the room I mean he was obviously very serious and he'd been at Michigan State before and part of the Rose Bowl uh, winning team in in the late 80s so he wasn't unfamiliar to the people at Michigan State but it was you know he he'd been a head coach for a year but it was a really different thing it was a much more much more stilted version of Nick than what people have become accustomed to. did he still have the hands (laughs) <laughs> he he had a little bit of the hands, but there was just a real um, you could, it, you felt like he didn't want to be up there. You know, you felt like he wanted to go back to the film room and you know and get on the practice field. He didn't have a lot of interest in talking to the to the cameras, and you know that was a, I think that was the thing about you know his wife that she helped him with over the years, and he's been pretty open about this that he got frustrated with why people thought he was a certain way. And she's like, well, what do you expect? You know, that's that's, that's the way you present yourself. And and to his credit, he was always, you know, he always talks about improving, you know, best version of yourself, self-analyzing, all those types of things. And he, you know, with her help, she, you know, he did that. And, you know, to think that the guy that I saw and, you know, I guess that would have been, uh, what, December of 94, I guess, when they had the news conference or Mm -hmm. something, um, is now is now being thought of as hey if we had a czar of college football a spokesperson for the sport a person to advocate for yeah. it publicly and be the forward face that's the guy you know it's a, it's a pretty remarkable transformation that uh, sort of extends beyond the obvious accomplishments on the field my friend charles robinson who i worked with at yahoo who's covered mm-hmm. the nfl for years uh was I think a student at Michigan State at the time, and then might have covered him locally a little bit. And he's got some uh, he's got some funny stories just of like Nick and his standards and kind of his interactions. And they've evolved. And living in Boston, I've obviously uh, read a lot of the books about Belichick and Parcells too. And mm-hmm. both of them, uh, you know, when you when you read the education of a coach and uh, and Parcells, I think Nuno Damasio, it's a great biography of Bill. Um, they talk about how they've evolved with the media as like just part of, you know, part of how they operated and who they are and, and, and getting better at that. So again, it's not everything, but by far we're, we, we probably think more about how coaches interact with the media because we're biased, but I do think you can fail at it. And if you mm-hmm. fail at it, it doesn't, it, it just adds gas to, uh, to, to, to small brush fires. You know, it's one of the things, you know, as we circle this back in some ways to Harbaugh, um, you know, I think Jim has, uh, in some ways, a lot of it is just him, but a lot of it is he's mastered this um, uh, this character to some degree that he plays <laughs> yeah. when he goes in there. You know, he's uh, the one week he's talking about, you know, how do you get the peacock, which was a, uh, you know, 
which was a topic for the NFL playoffs, too, about how to get the mm-hmm. Peacock streaming service. And he kept calling it the Peacock, which was kind of hilarious. And, you know, just, uh, you know, the, the metaphors and, uh, you know, the sort of uh, blankly looking off into space, which is a, a little, I think he knows, you know, Jim's a really smart guy. And I think he knows this kind of plays. It kind of plays to his uh, demeanor and character. And it also... It also can diffuse some things that he, you know that he knows he needs to answer, but kind of uh, you know portraying it in that way. You know, not going to get a bitter. I'm going to get better, and you know the eye is the difference in that, and all of that kind of stuff. You know, he he knows it plays, and that is part of the deal now in this enterprise is that coaches need to be good at this. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't mean if they're good at it, they will be successful. It doesn't mean that. Um, media people aren't going to criticize them or critique them. Um, you know, it's always funny because they're right when they say that we in the media, well, you know, what do you know about teaching a guard to get to the second level? Fair enough. But, you know, the counter would be, well, what do you know about presenting <laughs> presenting the story to the people who are responsible for making this enterprise popular? So that's a two-way mm-hmm. street a little bit. Um, so even the best ones understand that and they, you know, they spar when they need to, and they are cooperative when, you know, when they can be and, uh, and everything kind of works out. Yeah, no, it, uh, it, it makes sense. Well, we covered our two A-list topics here. Reese's, uh, Reese's Barbara Walter sit downs with the, uh, <laughs> with the biggest names in the sports. Um, where do we go, Reese? Where do we go? There's, I mean, we could, we could talk about Caleb Downs for longer. We could talk about the portal. We could talk about you know where where do you think we uh, we we dive next here uh, in our in our finishing uh, in our finishing kick. I think the I think the most fascinating thing at the moment is probably the transfer portal as it pertains to Alabama particularly and as it might pertain to Michigan. You know now mm-hmm. I don't expect the same type of turnover at Michigan if in fact Jim takes. Uh, an NFL job, and if they hire Sharon Moore, I think if that happens, then some of their um, some of their issues will be will be mitigated to a large degree. But I think you know Alabama, as you mentioned, they've lost Bond. It, you know, they might well lose Downs. Uh, there are rumors about a few others uh, that could be headed that way. Um, you're already seeing too. It, it's kind of interesting the team dynamic. I mean, I know that. Kalen DeBoer, I'm sure, is, is working hard to keep, uh, to keep some important pieces. But you've already seen a couple of guys come out. Uh, Devontae Smith, not the original receiver version, but they have another uh, player named Devontae Smith on the team who put on social media this week, hey, if you're thinking about leaving, you need to go meet with the guy. And if you meet with the guy and you still want to go, happy trails, kid. We don't need you. You know, paraphrasing yeah. there a little bit. Sure. You yeah. see that you see that, and that happens within teams because the mm-hmm. guys who are committed to staying, um, the guys who are committed to staying often are like, you know what, you don't want to be part of it, get out. You know, yeah. they're they're not like fans. <clears throat> the other players aren't like fans in that they're going to uh, you know, kowtow and beg somebody to stay. Number one, they understand the reality of everybody's got to do what's best for them. And then number two, they're also forming a team dynamic among those guys that are going to stay. And, you know, one thing I I should have brought up in that regard, Pete, is I Mm -hmm. ran into Jalen Milrow after I finished talking to Nick and we Mm -hmm. we probably like 15-minute conversation. And, you know, Jalen, who has since committed to staying, 
wasn't mm-hmm. I wouldn't say talking about leaving, but he he said, "Man, my head is spinning." He goes, "I didn't, you know, didn't see this sure. coming." And you know, it's it's a I think we underestimate sometimes the the personal side of this for for players when when they've got a very short college career, and when those circumstances, particularly the head coach and their position coaches and the coaching staff, when that when everything changes around them. Um, you know that can be that can be a difficult and, and daunting thing for them, and it was for Jalen. You know, and yeah. uh, you know as it stands right now, you know he you know he has told everybody who'll listen that he's staying, but not everybody's going to feel that way. And I, I resentment may be too strong a word, but it's sort of like um, you know I think it's like anything else in life. If if you feel like that someone who's supposed to be affiliated with you is not in and they're not interested and they they're not fully uh, committed to whatever the enterprise is, you kind of think, hey, man, good for you. We'll be better off mm-hmm. without you. We'll see you. Yeah. And, you know, because it is better to have everyone who stays, whether it's Alabama, Michigan, you know, whoever else, um, better to have everyone stay pulling in the same direction and buying in to the new situation than it is to maybe have people who are wondering, should I have gone? Should I still be here? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's not helpful at all. And I think the the guys who are committed to staying at a place, whether it's Alabama or anywhere else, the players often recognize that very quickly. Yeah. Here's a, a macro observation from the sort of dominoes that have fallen. Obviously, Nick retires. DeBoer's hired what within 72 hours, right? Greg Brunson, yeah, 72 but, hours, and he pretty much. He, I think he came in under his own uh, deadline. He'd be a good yeah, journalist, well under than it. me most times. Yeah, yeah. well under. Um, yeah. Troy Dannon at Washington hired Jed Fish within 48 hours, pretty much, right? Like mm-hmm. it was a it was a little bit of a quicker timeline on uh, on that. And then uh, Dave Hickey at Arizona hired Brent Brennan in about 48 hours. And the trend here is showing is you don't got time, man. If you wait right. a week, if you if you fiddle and diddle, that thing, your roster is falling apart. I know San Jose has made it clear that they're gonna they're gonna move quickly with 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 Brennan leaving. And I would imagine South Alabama does the same uh, with Kane Womack out, and and, and Buffalo also uh, also does the same. Uh, it is a. Uh, it's you know you are in an environment where indecision is going to lead to players making decisions. So we mm-hmm. we will not see some of the. I mean, how long was the Saban search, Reese? It was like thirty eight days or something crazy. Yeah, like right. crazy. Now they were waiting for him to finish with the Dolphins, and it's obviously the single most patient move um, that paid you know bountiful dividends. But um, the, we will just not see that. I mean, there's, that notion is, yeah, if any search at this point um, in the year lasts more than a week, it would be pretty shocking. It's just we are in a we're in a lightning round environment right now in college athletics, the way it is, uh, the way it's designed. And uh, we have seen we have seen searches go quick and we will see them go quicker. What do you think, um, because we've talked a lot about Alabama, Michigan, because they command the brands, but Washington played for the national championship. Oh, yeah. And Jed Fish did one of the better coaching jobs and one of the better uh, revivals that we've seen in recent years with Arizona. What do you think of of Washington moving quickly and and going with Jed Fish as opposed – to maybe striving for some continuity and keeping mm-hmm. Ryan Grubb. Not, I mean, you know, were you, let me put it this way, were you surprised by that? I think the extenuating circumstance is that the AD at Washington did not hire Kalen DeBoer. And mm-hmm. so, therefore, you know, might have, it might have impacted his thinking in deciding to go outside. 
I will say this, and I think the same is true for Michigan is is for Washington. They were not designed to compete next season for the national title. They were designed to compete this season for the national title. Now, look, with the portal, you can do a lot, but that wasn't a a 10-win Washington team that was going to come back. So if there was, let's keep Ryan Grubb for continuity, um, I, you know, they have Will Rogers come in, obviously, uh, at quarterback for Mississippi State, but there wasn't, uh, there wasn't this like teeming nucleus ready to go back and win a league title again. So they were going to have to restart, and again, like in a new league too. So mm-hmm. it's it's almost like different paradigm that you're that you're hiring to. So I guess I wasn't surprised for the sake of if you were going to do that and you're going to keep the band together, the band was just okay. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't. Like last year, if DeBoer had left, it wasn't the same the same band. And that's not a criticism of Ryan Grubb. It's just, I think, a, a window into the thinking of, okay, what are we going to do? The most fascinating thing about Fish, who, again, they won seven straight games to finish the year. They kicked the tar out of uh, Oklahoma, number 12 at the time, in the Alamo Bowl, is if uh, Nova Fafita, the quarterback, and uh, Tartaria McMillan, the star receiver, go with them to Washington. Because I think that would also represent a little bit of a paradigm change too. Um, and there's other great players too, by the way, the running back. Like they're, they're, Arizona has a front line of high-end players that Jed Fish recruited. But it would be an interesting collision of Washington's presumably superior NIL to Arizona. Although Arizona had good NIL. That's how they that's how they were able to, to lure those players in the first place. Um, and that is not decided as of us, us taping this. But it would be a pretty fascinating thing where it's like, we lost our nucleus. Let's go hire a coach and envelop his nucleus. Right. Like they, bring his guys. Yeah. As we see the, you know, the the power two rising from the others, it would certainly be a flex for Washington to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to 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 go and to go and do that. Now, I'm not saying it's done, but it's certainly an option. I think as soon as Jed Fish's deal was done, the the question immediately shifted to what do they do next. It's uh, that would be that would be a flex and a flex on the Big Twelve. You're not you're not pulling. Oh yeah. Uh, you know Arizona's moving into a new conference also, and it's one that aspires to be on the same level as the SEC and the Big Ten, and certainly a, a new era in the Big Twelve. And I guess on the subject of patience, you can correct me if I'm wrong because you are the uh, guru of all coaching searches, but. Patience paid off for Brent Brennan because he was the runner-up when Jed Fish got the Arizona job, was he not? Correct. Or at least the he closest was, competitor. Yep. He was and now, yes. and now he's got it. So, and he he has developed all-time good guy, California guy, Brent Brennan. I don't know if you've ever run across him. All-time and, good dude. Well, and the one thing I'll say is I don't know that when he took that job, if if there were many more difficult places to win, and mm-hmm. he did. And, you know, he was he he wanted a very high level, particularly for San Jose State. And I think he's more than earned this opportunity. And I think he'll he'll do really well at Arizona. But again, for him, probably some bumps in the road, especially if they lose, you know, Fafita, McMillan and, you know, a few others. But he's a really good coach. And I think Mm -hmm. it's a it it was a really wise hire by Arizona to give them an opportunity to uh, continue on an upward trajectory even if there's some turbulence in the in the immediate takeoff yeah i i would think and this is an assumption that brent brennan would have a relationship with noah fafita so noah fafita was a prolific quarterback in southern california mm-hmm. but he's mm-hmm. short 
He doesn't mm-hmm. fit the quarterback paradigms. And this mm-hmm. is that's that's kind of how he was, I believe, committed to Cal and then flipped to Arizona. So that's why he was a back half of the Pac-12 recruit and not a top. His production would have indicated like a USC level recruit, but mm-hmm. he didn't have some of the physical paradigms that that go with it. So I say that to say like that's the kind of kid that Brent Brennan would identify, and he's done a great job with quarterbacks there at San Jose, and uh, identified and brought in 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 recruited hard because those those guys who are a tick slow or an inch or two short usually end up getting heavy Mountain West interest, and then the uh, the the big boys take notice. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna think Brent Brennan's gonna give a strong recruiting pitch, and and I'll say this: if you look at Duke with NIL, if you look at Kansas with NIL. You look at Arizona with NIL, some of the basketball blue bloods where that's front line, they understand it a little better maybe mm-hmm. than some other because they've had to they've had to come to the table fast and they have some things in place. Now, I'm not saying Duke and Kansas have crazy NIL, but like there's a reason why Jalen Daniels stayed and Devin Neal stayed. There's a reason why Duke got Malik Murphy, who is obviously a coveted guy coming out of the portal. So I would think uh, Arizona, which has strong booster support, would make a, you know, they're not just going to lie down here. They've got some assets. McMillan is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, McMillan is one of the top receivers for the NFL draft next year, maybe the top in, in the sport. So um, it would be interesting to see how much Arizona covets those assets. And so portal opens again in the spring, right? I mean, and, and it opens when you change coaches for 30 Correct. days. So yeah. the Arizona guys can go, the Washington guys can go, the Alabama guys obviously can go, and then potentially if if Michigan makes a change, that could happen as well. And then for everyone, it opens again in the spring. So even if even if these new coaches think they've weathered the initial storm, uh, there's another storm coming. Correct? I've got my yes. calendar right on this. Okay. Yes, so. that is that is that is correct. There are storms in the forecast. That is, uh, <laughs> it's like South Florida at night. Um, it's it's always going to be rainy somewhere, uh, and there's always going to be something happening. We are in uh, an era of relentless transaction, Reese. Um, as yes, as indicated by the news cycles. Okay. Before we wrap this up, Pete, anything uh, anything that you're keeping an eye on that is uh, uh, maintaining the uh, the great majority of your interest over the over the next few days. Well, uh, since my wife and I are going on vacation later this week, I'm certain that's when Jim Harbaugh leaves. Uh, we're just going for a couple of days, but we're going away for the weekend basically. But I'm certain Please. that's when Jim Harbaugh will, will will leave for the NFL. So I, yeah. you could almost you could almost time it to the to the to the Delta flight. When, when do you when do you leave? I mean, maybe maybe you don't want people to know that, but give me no, a rough it's estimate. F- Friday to Monday, basically, we're doing a long. Okay, weekend. Friday to Monday. Okay, let, when we get off this, let, let's send Jim a message and say, "Hey, will you just go ahead and do it already? Do it for your friend Pete." Do, yeah, well, do it. it would be it would be appreciated. Do it for Kate, really. That's, yeah, that's do it. Do it for <laughs> Kate. If you won't do it for Pete, well, then do it for Kate. One way or the other. We, you know, I've already told you I'd prefer you to stay, but if you're gonna go, let's let's go ahead and do it for Kate and. And make, yeah. make sure that we get that. The portal has not been kind for Kate Thamel. Luckily, she hasn't sent me in it yet. So yeah, thank goodness, <laughs> thank goodness. If, hey, look if if Kate if Kate starts to if Kate starts to consider uh, sending you in the portal, 
just have her reach out to me and we'll see if we can boost the NIL deal and keep things, <laughs> <laughs> keep things going. Don't, don't tempt her. <laughs> <laughs> One last time this season, this episode of the College Game Day podcast is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Thanks for your support all season long, Dr. Pepper. And even if you weren't the sponsor, because it's such a wonderful product, I drink ridiculous copious uh, amounts of diet dr pepper which is the one i can confirm i see it yeah. sometimes yeah. in the late morning yeah it, it happens sometimes Sh- late morning should we and let the listeners le- know about our off-season schedule what is our off-season schedule is it once a week that we're doing well i would just AD? maybe say we're going to keep rolling in the off-season yeah um you know we don't have a we don't have it hard and fast we're going to follow the news if big mm-hmm. news happens but we're going to stick football heavy draft etc Right. Yeah. We'll, and Pete and I both covering the draft, as you know, and we'll, we'll dabble in basketball as it oh, comes yeah. up. I'm, I'm more sure. than dabbling as college basketball season has started. But for the purposes of this podcast, this will continue to be primarily college football in the offseason. One thing we did last year that I would hope to expand on this year is to have more guests. Yep. Um, obviously, there are some new coaches that would be fascinating guests. Love to have Jed Fish on at some point. Certainly love to have Kalen DeBoer on at some point during this offseason uh, once they sort of get settled in. That's probably more a summer thing uh, mm-hmm. for those two guys particularly. But um, we'll try to do some of that. We'll talk draft. Uh, Pete's trying to get me to the Senior Bowl, and I'm trying to make it happen around my basketball schedule, at least for a day. So um, we're, we're looking forward to all of those things. And we thank you for your support of this podcast throughout the season. It's been a lot of fun. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. And we'll continue, we'll continue on talking about King football uh, throughout the offseason. For the last time this college football season, Best in Game is brought to you by Old Dominion Freightline, helping the world keep promises. Thanks to our friends at Old Dominion for supporting this podcast all season long with Best in Game and for being a presenting sponsor of this show. I'm looking forward to uh, spending some time with the good people from Old Dominion, and that's coming up next month as well. So they've been great friends to the podcast, and we appreciate that as well. Pete, if I don't talk to you again, which, well, I might, but before you leave town on your vacation, but uh, actually I kind of hope I don't, so that because if I do, that probably means there's some type of big news that's threatening your outbound flight, and we certainly don't need that. Yeah, we'll be all right. We, we, we make it. Phones work where we're going. So we'll, we'll okay, all right. That's, uh, that's, that's good news. Thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast. As noted, we will continue on throughout the offseason. Roughly, I would say you can expect a once-a-week type of situation with the pod and um you know the best way to maybe we'll beef it up around the draft a little bit yeah yeah yeah, we'll go a little bit more maybe have some guests on when um when we're on site at the draft as well subscribe that's the best way if not you can download this wherever you prefer to get your podcast thanks for listening